I sat in my gray Hyundai, peering into the liquid darkness, exhausted and apprehensive. Exhausted because my day had started before dawn in Sana'a, Yemen's capital, some two hundred miles to the northwest. Apprehensive because I had no idea who was coming to meet me, or when they would arrive. Would they greet me as a comrade, or seize me as a traitor? The desert night had an intensity I had never seen in Europe. There were no lights on the road that led from the coast into the mountains of Shabwa province, a lawless part of Yemen. At times there hadn't been much of a road, either. A fine coating of sand had drifted onto the baking tarmac. Long after sunset, a humid breeze wafted in from the Arabian Sea. My apprehension was fed by guilt. I had only been able to drive into this no-man's land, where Al-Qaeda's presence was growing as the government's authority waned, because my young Yemeni wife, Fadia, was beside me. Note, Fadia is not her real name. For her safety and that of her family, I have given her a pseudonym. On the pretext of visiting her brother, we had negotiated one checkpoint after another, on a dangerous route south. In my quest to reconnect with Anwar al-Awlaki, an American Yemeni cleric who had become one of al-Qaeda's most influential and charismatic figures, I knew I was risking my life. Yemen's military and intelligence services had recently stepped up their attempts to combat al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, one of the most active and dangerous franchises of Osama bin Laden's group. There was the risk of an ambush, a shootout at a checkpoint, or just a lethal misunderstanding. There was also the danger that Awlaki, now dubbed Al-Qaeda's rock star by Western newspapers, might no longer trust me. My trip had been at his request. In an email he had saved in the draft folder of an anonymous email account we shared, he had told me, Come to Yemen. I need to see you. It had been nearly a year since I had seen Awlaki, and in that time he had continued a remorseless and fateful journey. The radical preacher sympathetic to Al-Qaeda had become an influential figure within its leadership, aware of and involved in its plans to export terror. I had already missed one rendezvous. Awlaki had invited me to come out to a meeting of Yemen's leading jihadis in a remote part of Mahrib a desert province that had reputedly been the home of the Queen of Sheba centuries earlier. Awlaki's younger brother, Omar, was meant to organize my travel to Mahrib, but had insisted I dress as a woman in a full veil, or niqab, so that we could get through the checkpoints. At six foot one inch tall and weighing nearly eighteen stone, I was dubious. I had declined the offer, even though the driver who would take me to meet these wanted men was a police officer. Such were the contradictions of Yemen. My absence from such an important gathering of Al-Qaeda's leaders in Yemen had gnawed at me. So a few days later my wife and I undertook this odyssey to Shabwa. After a few minutes I heard the muffled growl of a distant engine, then saw headlights and the approach of a Toyota Land Cruiser packed with serious young men brandishing AK-47s. The escort party had arrived. I grasped my wife's hand. If things were about to go very wrong, we would know in the next few moments. All day we had followed curt directions texted from Awlaki, as if they were clues in some bizarre treasure hunt. Take this road, 
Turn left, pretend to the police that you are going to Mukala, along the coast. I could hardly blend in with the locals. As a heavyset Dane with a shock of ginger hair and a long beard, I might as well have been an alien life form in a country of wiry, dark-skinned Arabs. In a land where kidnapping and tribal rivalries, trigger-happy police, and militant jihadis made traveling an unpredictable venture, the sight of someone like me, with a petite Yemeni woman at my side, crammed into a hired car heading towards the rebellious south, was, to say the least, an unusual one.